Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I don't want to miss the prophetic picture that we're getting a glimpse. God has been hinting throughout scripture when the Bible says, when Jesus says, in the volume of the book is written of me. You come back and study a book like Numbers. And for them then, this was God giving them direction then, but it would be clearer later. It'd be clearer to generations later that that was about Jesus. Maybe they got it, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't know it then, but for you and I, we're able to look back and say, this is pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus told the Pharisees, You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Pastor Bill encourages you to study the Old Testament scriptures, looking for Jesus in them. The religious establishment that ruled at that time of Jesus looked to the law as a rule book, but the law is a picture of our hopelessness without Jesus and a picture of Jesus, who has always offered salvation by grace through faith to those who would believe. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 19 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And God, thank you for uh, just for giving us your word. God, thank you. Uh, even this is an interesting chapter, Lord, deals with um, purification. And uh, Lord, just how that you've done so much to bring us into a place of purity. And so, God, I pray you would speak to us tonight about these things, Lord, as uh, we look back at the Israelites and how that you wanted them to be people that were walking in cleanliness and purity. And uh, Father, we know that translates over for us in the New Testament. And Lord, that you want us to be pure and clean and holy. And so, God, I pray your word would speak to us loud and clear tonight that um, each one of us here would receive that which you have for us tonight, Lord. So as we Look at Numbers 18. God, speak to your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say Numbers 18 or 19. Okay, Numbers 19. So for you guys that were with us the last couple of studies in chapter 18, it broke into two parts. The first seven verses of chapter 18, we titled both messages, Do Your Part. But in the first seven verses, we looked at the Levites and the priests and what their ministry was. And that was their part. God had given them very specific jobs and functions to do in the tabernacle. And then we looked last time at verses 8 to 32 of chapter 18. And it was for us, it was the Israelites, the congregation to do their part. And in order for the Levites and the priests to do all that God had given them to do, the people had to give. And so we spoke about last time about giving and that being the part of everybody has to participate in that. We looked at how it correlates to New Testament church. And we went into those things. So today in chapter 19 is kind of coming right off the heels of that as God has prepared the leaders to serve, prepared the people that their hearts would be just given over to the Lord and worshiping and giving. Now God speaks to them about purification and look at chapter 19. We'll start at verse one. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this is the ordinance of the law, which the Lord has commanded saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. And so I'm going to just open up right away and tell you that what we're looking at here is unique. And in many ways, this points to Jesus. It points to what Jesus was going to come and do later. So God tells Aaron and Moses, I want you guys 
This is a law. It's an ordinance, a commandment. I'm speaking to you guys. I want you to go and find a red heifer. I got to tell you that even in that culture, that was a difficult thing to find. Um, looking at the, the Israelites law concerning a red heifer, it couldn't have three hairs of another color and it was no longer. It could have been all red. But if it had three black hairs, it was not a red heifer. It had to be all red. So for you guys now, when we, we think of cows, I don't know if y'all have seen a red cow. This is not a common thing. So this is a, and it, it was made further unique. So it's a red heifer. Everybody know what a heifer is? I, all my, my life, I thought it was a mean word girls call each other, you know, but I'm going to break it down for y'all here tonight. So a, a heifer is a female cow. So now... This was, again, it was going to make it a little more difficult to find. First, a red heifer, so this is not a popular color. Now it's going to be a female cow. Um, we'll see as it goes on. This is a, It's got to be a female cow that's not given birth. You know, it's not had children yet. It's not been used in that way. Um, it says without blemish, can't have a single blemish on. It's got to be perfect, flawless, in which there's no defect. Uh, it can't have a bum knee can't have a, a weird eye, can't have a little a mole on the nose. I mean, this thing has to be absolutely perfect. No defect, no blemish. Then it says, on which a yoke has never come. It also can never have been used as an animal of burden. So as many you know animals like that would have been used to, to plow or to, to be yoked up with another animal, this one could never have been used. So all these things would have made it a very difficult thing for them to find. But once they get it, they were to bring it to Eliezer the priest in verse three, that he may take it outside the camp and that shall be slaughtered for him. And so I want to break these things down before we go any further and show you why it points to Jesus. First, with regard to it being the red heifer, all these different things, there are all these things that made it very unique. But when we look at it as the other sacrifices being without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, without any such thing, we know that that's Jesus, right? The lamb of God, you know, just without a single blemish, without a single issue, just nothing broken, nothing at all. And as it was um, never having been yoked up or used, just this animal would have been in the prime of this existence. As you look at when Jesus, as he began his earthly ministry and everything, he was 33 years old when he died. And as we studied the work of the priest, you know, from 25 to 50. So at 33, I mean, you're just at your prime. You're just getting rolling. That's when he was sacrificed. That's when he died for each one of us. He also, again, perfect, without blemish, without spot, without any of these things. But like Jesus, right, they wouldn't kill him in Jerusalem. They made him walk. Remember, he carried the cross and he had to go outside the city. All the other sacrifices were done right here at the tabernacle. Uniquely, this one right here is going to be taken outside the city and be done. And we'll see some more things as we keep going. But I just want to show you because I want to make sure we look at what it meant for them then. But I, I don't want to miss the prophetic picture that we're getting a glimpse. God has been hinting throughout scripture when the Bible says, when Jesus says in the volume of the book, it's written of me. You come back and study a book like Numbers. And for them then, this was God giving them direction then, but it would be clearer later. It'd be clearer to generations later that that was about Jesus. Maybe they got it, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't know it then, but for you and I, we're able to look back and say, this is pointing to Jesus Christ. He was giving hints all along the way of what he would be and what he would do throughout. In the volume of the book, everything in this book should point us in some way to Jesus. It's about him. And so this is what they were to do. They were to bring it to Eliezer. I wanted to share this as well before I move on. And not too long from here, as we continue our study in Numbers, Aaron's going to die. 
and Eliezer will be the guy to take over in his place. And I just thought it was interesting that God would specify here because Aaron's been the guy doing it. But God says specifically here, he says, I want Eliezer. Take it to him. He's going to do this one. And I just see the importance. I see this importance in, in our own ministry and service that we're always raising up people that we're, we're not it. That if you die, I hope every one of us is passing down what we got. I mean, God forbid. But if something happened to any of us, I hope there's someone right behind you that can pick it up and that the work keeps going because the work was important. The work of God was more important than the man of God. And even though Aaron was important and his task was important, it's not that important. You got an expiration date. Every one of us does. And so we must always have that in mind. I had a friend of mine that was a pastor and he would always say that his job or the goal of everyone in leadership was to work themselves out of a job. That you work and serve and train up other people in such a way that you just, you worked your way out of a job and hopefully the ministry grows to where we needed one of you now, we need five of you anyway. And so things keep spreading out. But I just thought that was interesting that knowing that shortly, you know, Aaron will be gone, that there's someone being prepared and raised up, the work will continue on. Now, look at the last part of verse three. After you take it outside the camp, it says, and it shall be slaughtered before him. Um, it's going to be slaughtered before the priest in verse uh, for Eliezer, verse four. And Eliezer, the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. It's hide, it's flesh, it's blood, it's awful. That's its waste shall be burned. Again, another picture here. Why is it being burned? Right. Just think this through, think scripture through, right? When something's burned, what is that ultimately? It's judgment. It's being burned. And so when we look at the ultimate judgment of a non-believer, where do they end up? What happened? What's the end of the non-believer? They are burned. They suffer the ultimate, the ultimate consequence for a life without God. You die, they burn for eternity, the Bible says. And so here we have this sacrifice and it's the whole sacrifice, though. Usually the sacrifices were bled first. They were, you know, shaved. They were, you know, cut up. There was there was all these other preparations. This thing, the whole thing, just burn the whole thing. We're going to take the ashes of this red heifer, take it outside the city. The skin, the awful, the awful, the, all the yucky stuff inside, burn it all. The blood, burn it all up and we're going to get the ashes from it. What are we getting from that for them? Again, this is a God had them going through the ceremony. It was going to be part of a cleansing ceremony. The ashes from this red heifer were going to be used as part of a thing that God had for the cleansing of these people. But what we're gaining is this, right? As the whole thing is burned up in judgment because they're dealing with sin, dealing with uncleanness. Jesus took that for us. He took all the judgment for us. He took it all. Everything, I mean, the very worst of everything, he took it all away, right? I'm not going to be burned. I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to suffer. Jesus took all that for me and for you. And even again, as I look at these people here, I can't believe that all of them would have been looking at these things saying, okay, you know, that makes perfect sense. I'm reading this and I'm thinking that this was kind of weird. You know, these are strange instructions. This was different. This is what we normally do, but it's what God is saying to do now. And I just think it's for us a lesson, right, that there are going to be times where God has given you instruction. God has given me instruction, direction. It doesn't sound like this isn't what I normally do, though. I'm not using this. Is not, this is weird. This is different. And sometimes, you know, his ways are not our ways, the Bible says. And so often I'm, I'm looking for God to tell me to do what I want to do my way. 
And God's like, my, my ways are not your ways. My ways are so much higher than your ways, higher than the heavens are from the earth. They're beyond you. So you just need to obey me by faith. They would have had to do this in absolute faith and obedience. Same way that we're called to walk with God, faith and obedience. There are people that they struggle with coming to Christ. They struggle with walking with God because it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. How come God does this? How come God allows that? There are people that are racking their brain because they can't understand him. They can't figure him out. And it's been said, if God was small enough for you to be able to figure him out, he wouldn't be big enough for you to worship, right? He's just bigger than us. He's greater than we are. If you're writing notes, I'd like you to write. I, I kind of chopped it up. I'm going to try to read it properly now. It's Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. And God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And he says this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God said, my ways are just beyond yours. Don't try to figure me out. Don't try to understand me. Just obey me. Amen. Amen. And so these are strange things here, but they're not as strange to us, I think, as they would have been to them. I'm able to see the scarlet thread that's woven throughout scripture in the midst of all this. And verse six, if you didn't catch it up until then, verse six is like the you have to see it now. Look at verse six. It says, and the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. And so real quick, you look at those three things, cedar, the wood, the hyssop and the scarlet. Anybody, what do those three items remind you of? Where do they take you back to? The wood, the hyssop and the scarlet. Anybody? The cross, right? As he was on the cross, obviously the crosses of wood. Some people speculate, I won't go that far, that the cross that Jesus died on was cedar. I won't push that far. We don't know. I know it was a wood cross though. And so here we have the wood, the cedar wood. Also, it was a known fact, cedar wood was used. Um, we won't go there, but if you're writing notes, write down Leviticus 14, four through six. And in the ceremonial for the cleansing of a leper, these were the same items used. And so we have the wood, which would remind us of the cross. We have the hyssop, which if you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they, they put it on something and brought it up to him and were offering him to take something for his pain. He didn't take it, though, but they offered it to him as he was there on the cross. But he didn't take anything to deaden the pain. He took the full brunt of everything for you and for me. He didn't take anything to lessen it, to deaden it. He took it full on for me and for you. And then the scarlet and the scarlet throughout Scripture points us to the blood of Christ. That was shed for us. And we know that his blood ran from the cross and um, all these things go into the burning of this heifer. And so a couple of things I would just point out real quick for the note takers. It's Matthew 27, 48, where they offered him the hyssop in Leviticus 14, four through six. When a leper was cleansed, they were offered the same solution. And I would challenge you to remember this. When someone was sick with leprosy in that culture, it's very much synonymous with sin for us. Leprosy, like sin, was very contagious. Leprosy, like sin, had one known cure, a supernatural touch from God's only way you could be. There was no medicinal cure for leprosy. If a leper were to be cleansed, it was because God had healed them. God had touched them like sin. There's nothing you can do about your sin. There's nothing you can do to clean it, to, to make it better, to fix it up. If God doesn't forgive you for it, you're in your sins. And so it's contagious. 
It can only be removed by a touch from God. And third, leprosy like sin brings forth death. The end result of a leper, if they continue to live as a leper, they will die of their leprosy. The end result of sin, if a person continues on in sin, sin brings forth death. That's the end result. And so leprosy and sin are, are very synonymous. So it's interesting as we look at the cure for the leper and we look here at them, it's just, these things are similar items that are used and they all point us to the cross. And I would just stop here before I go any further and challenge all of us to consider this. All the things that God is doing in numbers that he's doing in this group of people at this time that the Holy Spirit is, is putting forth a picture. God is putting forth a picture for them. Not only is he making a provision for them to be clean then and there, but God's also laying down a foundation. He's laying a picture in the scriptures that people later would catch in and see that this has been his work, that God wants to cleanse sinners, what he wants to do. Again, there's a part that God played. God made this up. God created it. God gave the instruction. They would have to obey it. And so now look at verse seven. It says, then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water and afterward he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until evening. So the priest will do all of this and he'll be himself unclean until evening. He's got to go wash and get ceremonially clean himself. Verse eight. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And so the ashes from this red heifer, this whole thing is to be done for for the purifying or the cleansing from sin. And God had laid all these things out for them. Again, as I look at the the part the priest was to play, someone else was to do the burning. They were to be unclean. They were to get all these things together in the ashes of this red heifer. All these things were going to be done so that they could be purified. They could be cleansed. And I read this and I think, man, I mean, how easy has God made this for? I, I, I read these things and I'm thinking, man, you got to find a red heifer. It got to be without spot, without blemish. You've never been to work, never had a baby, you know, not even three red, not even three other color hairs. I mean, I'm looking at all these things. You got to find that thing. You got to be sacrificed outside the camp with all this junk. And then somebody's got to get the ashes and take it and that can be sprinkled so I can finally be pure. It take all that. So I can finally like, okay, I'm, I'm pure and I'm good. I'm good. You know, and I read that and I think, wow, what do we have to do? Like, what do you have to do to be pure for the Lord? Ask. First John 1, 9, right? If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. So what would be the excuse for you and I to walk around dirty? None. Now, understand that there would be no excuse for them either, right? We're going to see in a little while that the person that won't obey God's instructions to be cleansed, God said then he should be put outside. He should be cut off from his people, it says. And I always believe when the Bible says cut off from his people, that means to be killed. That's how you get cut off from your people. It's not kicked out because you can come back. It's you're going to be killed. So the person that won't be clean will be killed. There's no soft space. There's no place of, well, there's another way. If you don't like that way, if that's too difficult for you, I got another route that doesn't exist. Neither does it exist for the New Testament. Same. But again, as I read this and I think of, man, all these steps and all these things and how they had to be kept just so... And God's like, there was no excuse for them. What would be the excuse for us? 
even less for us, right? Because Christ has now died. The picture that's being placed here, the picture has come to reality. Jesus has already been on that cross. He's already bled on the cross. He's already died for the forgiveness of our sin. So now it's a matter of us saying, God, I want you. Lord, I surrender to you. And we'll look now at some specific things that they would need to be cleansed from and some ways that they could be made unclean. Um, And we'll talk more about that. But as we look at this here, again, I highlighted the last part of verse nine. It is for the purifying from sin. And this is what God had done for them. Well, God has also made a provision for you and I that we would be purified from our sins, that we wouldn't go on in sin, that we wouldn't be tainted by sin, but that we would be cleansed and purified from sin. And I believe not just from the penalty of sin, but I believe that God's desire is not just to clean me up from hell. That's a big deal. And he does that. But God's cleaning us up, not just the penalty, you guys. God wants to deliver us from the present power that sin has over people, that we wouldn't be a people that are going on in sin. Um, God has made a provision for us. God has given us what we need that we might walk in victory, that we might walk in purity, that we wouldn't be a people that are remain filthy and come clean me, filthy, clean me, filthy, but that we could begin to walk in purity. And there are believers that want to skip that step. There are believers that just wanted to be all on God. I'm going to live like I'm going to act a fool, but thank God is merciful. I'm going to come get clean and then go back out. And that's their, their intending to live that way. Can you play that game with God and win? No, you can't. You can't play games with God. God tells us, right? He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Can't make fun of him. You can't play games with him. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's how sometimes inside the church, there are people that they know what the word says and they're worshiping and they're participating and eating communion, all these things. And they're still sowing bad and they're still reaping bad, even though they know better. Right. You can't mock God. It's worse for us. Right. It'd be worse for me and worse for you because we know. I know too much to just think I'm going to go free. I'm not going to go free. I'm going to get spanked. I'm going to get towed up. And, and we need to know that, right? So God won't be mocked, right? He's made a provision for us. We should walk. We should be impacted by it. What should be the response to the person that recognizes and what God has done, right? You did all that, Lord, that I could be cleansed, that I could be free. This, it should make us people that now it's in worship that I, I, I want to walk worthy. So we're told in the New Testament, walk worthy of your calling now. Right now you can. Now when you weren't saved, you didn't have any power. Sin had its grip on you, but now you're saved and you got the Holy Spirit in you. And now you can. Now the power of God upon your life that you can walk in purity and walk in his power. And so just want to point that out. Right. That he wants a clean people. Right. You're his bride. Who wants a dirty bride? Nobody wants a dirty bride. Everybody wants a clean bride. That's why they wear white dresses. I ain't never seen a bride in a black dress. I'm sure it's happened because we live in a really weird era. But for the most part, you know, even out there in the world, wedding dresses are white. Might be off-white, might be Cinderella white, but most of them are white. That's for a reason. So God's coming back for a pure bride, cleansed in the blood of his son. Amen. Verse 10 now, it says, and the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall Wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statue forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. That whole section ends there at verse 
10, that this is a statue forever. This is what you guys are going to do. It's a statue forever for you guys and any stranger that dwells among you. Why does he say that? This is what God is saying. When a stranger comes in, they don't change nothing. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that He taught them are the same ones He teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for Him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what He's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that He was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.